feel like the Holy Spirit is going to just do something in your life right now. You know, the Holy Spirit is like the mom of the Trinity. And do you know what the Holy Spirit does for me? And what he'll, the Holy Spirit will do for you? I just said hill. It's very confusing. The Holy Spirit shows you how to connect with your Father. Jesus came to earth to show you how to connect with your Father in heaven. I was talking with somebody uh, before this service who said, it's hard for me to, to just give up and connect with my Father in heaven because I, you know, I didn't have that on earth. And I'm telling you that no matter where you came from, no matter what state you come in here with, once you spend time with your Father in heaven, He changes everything. It's not good doctrine that saves you. and It is the presence of your Father in heaven through the Holy Spirit putting His arm around you and just being like, relax. You're worried about this like you can run the world, but you can't. Everybody knows girls run the world. But even to his daughters, you know, I think there's way too much self-sufficiency. Can I just preach? I got four daughters in my house. Sometimes I'm like, it's okay to be a girl. God loves you. He's your father in heaven. Relax. It's okay to be a child in the presence of God. I think we have a, an epidemic of, in the church, of people who think that we're spiritual adults. You know, when you're an adult, you're not supposed to ask for help, you know, in the presence of God, you'll never be anything but a child, no matter how old you are, you're just going to be a child. Enjoy it. Sean was born an old man. He, <laughs> Sean's my friend of my accountability party. He's responsible and he's all. And I love Sean, but man, I just want to tell you, just be a child in the presence of God. You don't have to worry about it. God's got it. Whatever you came in here with, God's got it. I'm preaching a sermon series called The Tribe, how important this is in your life, getting connected particularly to the, the tribe, the family of God. Some people shop for, for churches. I don't think you should shop for church. I think you should go to where God calls you to go, the way that you don't shop for your family or reshop for your family. Y'all, it doesn't make sense in, in family. It doesn't make sense in church. And so I want to ask you, in your typical day, you know, in the thousand things that you do in a day, out of the thousand things that you do, all the details you have to handle and all the things you do, you know, and a thousand things in your day, what percentage, if you had to break it down, like how many things out of a thousand do you spend? My sermon topic today is next gen, next generation. How much of those thousand things are you intentionally spending, investing in the ones coming behind you? So not just kids in your home. If you have kids, like, yeah, that's an obvious place there for sure. I mean, like, if you're in the youth group and you're 15 and there's a 13-year-old there. I mean, somebody behind you is behind you at some stage in your life in marriage. And, and the... If you're younger, you need to be looking ahead to that generation and say, like, help us, you know. But there's somebody that's behind you in their stages of parenting that you can just come alongside them and be like, oh, sweetheart, that's not how it's going to turn out. How many of the thousand things that take up your day? Because this is what happens. We just get busy in the day. We just do like the thousand things in a day and we just we're working to eat and we're just working to put a roof over our heads. And of those thousand things in a day, what percentage are you investing at work in the ones coming behind you? I know that you have to train them and it drives you crazy because they're not as good as you. 
How much of your time are you in, in those thousand things? Are you imparting something different to them? Are you investing in them and in their destiny and in their purpose? Today, we're going to like break it down and, and we're going to see in the life of Jesus and his disciples that uh, Jesus and his children hating disciples. Does everybody hate children a little bit until you have children of your own? If you're new to church, by the way, I'm Pastor Corey, and this is just what we do. So, everybody's laughing, and you're like, should I be laughing at this? I feel like... You ready? How much of your energy and your time and your resources are you spending investing in the ones coming behind you? Because one day, they're going to be the only thing that matters to you. And your legacy and what you leave behind, that's going to be all that you can think about. And you're never going to regret spending time investing in the ones coming behind you. Christian life is not about personally succeeding because that's ultimately selfish. Success is measured by advancing others. If Jesus' life on this earth was measured by his journey to the cross, what a, an abject failure he was. Yet his death and his subsequent resurrection, but he didn't stay on this earth to get all that glory. He left and he left us the Holy Spirit. If his life is measured the way that we measure our lives about our personal success, that is not how success is measured in the family of God or in Christianity. It is measured, your success is measured by how well you advanced the people around you. Thanks, Sean. Deuteronomy, watch this, Deuteronomy. God says, okay, Moses, write this down for the children of Israel. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Notice that he says commands. I know that Canadians, you love that word. Do you command your children to do the dishes sometimes? These are not the 10 suggestions, sweetheart. That's not how it works here. Wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And then he says this, watch this, repeat them. On the verge of going into the promised land, finally, he says, repeat them again and again. And I'm going to add like, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Like if you say something one time to a child, they don't got it again and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again to your children, repeat them, repeat them, talk about them when you're at home. And when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up and when you're in your car and when you're making sandwiches and when you're talk about them, talk about them, talk about them, talk about what, talk about the commandments of the Lord, talk about them, talk about them, talk about them, talk about them. The next generation is watching you. The people coming behind you are watching you. I wonder what we're leaving behind us. What are people going to remember you for? And I think about all the thousands of things that my parents did when I was growing up and the thousands and thousands and thousands of things that they did. And then I, I start thinking, I remember some of those things as, it, as clear as if it was yesterday. You ever have those moments, those like good moments? When you, when you think back to your childhood, maybe some of you don't have a lot of good moments, but there's still something in there. You know, I was thinking this one time when I was in grade two, um, when I was in grade two, I feel like all the makeup error systems are still on. Weird thought. Anyways, we're dialing this building in. Are you guys happy that this is, I'm telling you, man, we just had a bunch of youth in here. They're going to start a youth worship band. And so we have junior youth coming as well. And I'm like, man, we all did church in a basement with a light bulb, man. That's what we had. It was terrible and it smelled funny. And I'm like, you got to come into this place. Oh my goodness. I remember some things about my parents and the thousand things, you know, my dad, one time, my dad, uh, 
I was in grade two or grade three and we lived in, in Los Angeles, California. And my dad, he took my bike. Have, have, does anybody have a ridiculous dad? You know, Pastor Richard and Pastor Beth, they're here, they're retired, but my dad is like the ultimate, like he's gonna work until he dies, man. He just, he loves helping people and he's not gonna stop, you know? There was a prophecy about his life, like you're gonna basically help people until you die. And he's like, good, man, I don't wanna get bored. My dad one time, I learned something about my dad. You know, he was, he, he takes my bike out for a ride when I'm in grade two or grade three. Not, we're not talking about a big bike, you know. He takes my bike out and then he tries a wheelie on the, on the, on the road in front of my place in Pasadena. He tries a wheelie, just yard sales it, you know. <laughs> you, know uh, you know what a yard sale is? It's like when you're skiing and you like, you know, skis and boots and poles and you're like, it's a yard sale. You got all this stuff spread out in the yard. And so he comes up and his arm is all gashed up and he's like bleeding. He's like dripping blood off his arm. And I remember him because as a two, as a grade two, you know, I'm like seven years old. I'm thinking, I'm thinking we got to amputate. Like, you know, my dad's going to like be the one-armed man in the fugitive. You know, like, it's this one-armed man. Like, how are you going to drive? You know, you know these weird places that you go in your head as a child and, and you're starting to panic. And my dad, you know what he does? I remember it to this day as clear as day. I remember it. He gets up and he thought it was hilarious. He's looking and he's bleeding. He's just laughing to himself like, oh my goodness, that was awesome. You know, this is that. My dad taught me that you can be in pain and have a great sense of humor at the same time. I'll tell you that it's worked its way into my life. Like you don't have to be in pain and feel sorry for yourself. You can be in pain and like, like well, there's another thing not to try. You know, there's just something about him. You know, he was a pastor for years and, and, uh, and pastors, you know, you can meet bitter pastors. It's not hard to be bitter as a pastor because sheep get a little bitey sometimes. You know, like you blow your home up after 20 years of working really hard at it. And then you get mad at us because, you know, our youth leader wasn't somebody that your kid connected with. We're like, yeah, but you've been doing this with. Preach that, Pastor Corey. Pastor Corey's right. Uh, I remember asking my dad one time. Because it's hard because you do see people at their worst. And we're there to help people at their worst, but you still got to like deal with people at their worst. And sometimes they get mad at you. And I remember asking dad one time when I was a kid, I'm like, dad, how do you not get bitter? Like, how do you keep your heart in this place where you're just not bitter and angry at people? And he said, well, he said something and I remember to this day, he said, it beats the alternative. And I'm like, what's the alternative? Remember this, like a thousand things he did that day, but I remember this one still. He said, it beats being six feet in the ground. And I'm like, well, that is a way to look at that. You know how I think about hard times now and when people get a little bitey when I, or I make a wrong decision and people get mad at me. And I just think like, well, it beats being six feet underground. I guess there's somebody who's got it worse than me. Somebody who's whatever I'm dealing with, somebody's hurting worse than I am today. There's, you know what a good litmus test is of how, how well you're investing in the people coming behind you? Is um, this morning when you woke up, whose problems did you wake up thinking about? I, I know that the answer was you. That is showing how much percentage of your time you're investing in other people. When you wake up and you're thinking about somebody else, so that's why we say, like, join the dream team. So that you don't start coming to church not for you anymore. So you're not just coming to church for you. You're not a consumer anymore. You're, I wonder, you know, you're going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, so that time that you went to venue church and I gave you this great church to go to it. You just didn't want to go to NXT. You just want to get involved in small groups. You don't want to serve in the church. You don't want to. Did you think that the Holy Spirit was saying like, hey, just watch out for your schedule. 
Don't get too involved in the father's family. You can overcommit. And God's like, you overcommitted to dance already. And that's what's killing you. <laughs> you know? Hey, hanging out with dance moms? I know, man. I said last week, you want to meet evil. The only thing worse is like hockey moms, but maybe not, you know? No, it's just it's like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, we do that, but like, we don't, you know, think about it like family. God's not going to be like, hey, you know, like watch your commitments. Be careful you don't overcommit. God's like, no, no, this is where it all gets sorted out. This is where your life, and then all the other things fall into place. And um, my dad and my mom, they moved us from like a town of 500 people in Alberta to Los Angeles because God told them to. When I was like six, I'm a six-year-old today and fist bumped. And I'm like, when I was your age, man, I moved to Los Angeles. Like people from towns of 500 people here, you couldn't Google Los Angeles and figure out what it looked like. Is this news? The internet has not always been here. <laughs> we used to like write letters, you know. Y'all don't even have the finger strength. You have the thumb strength for texting, but you don't have the finger strength. You know, back in the day, you actually had to like talk to somebody to order pizza. Come on, I'm preaching out to young people. You need to like, just pick up the phone. I know it's going to be real hard on your soul. You got to pick up the phone and talk to a human and be like, I want pepperoni. Am I allowed to have pepperoni? And I was like this carefully cultured manicured, you know, like, Hey, I got control over this conversation. Man, you want to talk to a girl, you had to call her house and like her dad might pick up like, who's this? And they weren't friendly dads back then, man. Who's this? Uh, this is good. I want to talk to you. You're like, click. That just saved me from a lot of problems, everybody. You know, 13 year olds don't need to be talking to 13 year old girls. I'm saying. I don't know how I get off of this. I asked my dad one time because he grew up, his dad was real sick. So by the time he was 14, he was half running that farm. And his next brother was nine years old. And a lot of it fell on dad. And I asked him one time as a kid, he did a thousand other things that day, but I asked him, wasn't your life like slavery? Did you ever feel like you missed your childhood? You know what he said to me? You're going to like this one. Now nah, he says, I like working. <laughs> You've heard me say it. If you work around me, I like working. A thousand things you're going to do tomorrow. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's waiting for you to start investing. I mean, intentionally investing in them. You're going to do a thousand things. I hope you don't waste a thousand things just paying for food. Just spending it on you. My dad imparted to me a way of life that you could be imparting right now to somebody. He actually imparted his life into my life. My mom imparted her life into my life. You know, my mom grew up in a dead church. And I'm not saying that because I'm judging the body of Christ in any way. But look, there's something wrong in a church if you get all the way to university going to a church. And you don't know that, that the stories that you heard in Sunday school actually happened. And Jesus is actually real. So she goes to university, has a like face down on the floor vision of, of the Jesus, gets radically saved. And I'll tell you what my mom gave me, man. She keeps the fire of God hot in, in herself. She doesn't need you. She doesn't even need the Holy Spirit to keep that fire hot. She, she's like, I got it. That's mine. I keep that fire hot because I wasted so much of my life in this other place where I thought that none of this was real. We're just getting together as a social club. But like Jesus is real. There's a person. There's this. You get saved by Jesus, the person. You know this? 
the one who died and adopted you. Like this is a relation, this is a family. You know, my mom taught me how to keep that fire hot. Man, if you can hang around her, she, she will not. If you got ice water in your veins, hang around my mom a little bit. She'll burn that out. Oh, sweetheart, smile a little bit. Let's go. Work up some fire for God in your life. My mom, my mom did not subscribe to the worship the Lord any way you want, children. You know what she subscribed to? Worship the Lord like this. Like the Bible told you. Come into his presence with singing, Corey. Smile a little bit. Raise your hands. Lift those hands. Oh, I'm tired. I don't care. <laughs> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and O oh your soul, and all that is within me. And you? Let me teach you how this works. Let me show you. Let me... My dad worshiped the Lord with abandon. Now, my dad is a very controlled individual, but not in the house of God when he's worshiping. He, doesn't, he worships like a kid. Some of y'all are too holy. You know that? No, no, you're not holy. We worship God who's holy. He can sit on a throne and not put his hands up if he wants to. You're not that holy. You just, mean, <laughs> you just need to let it go. You know, here's what I don't want for you. Here's what I don't want for you. This generation here right now, because Moses is saying this to a generation that's going to go into the promised land. You know who he's not talking to is the entire generation that died in the wilderness. And this generation, you know, I'm not going to say we run the risk because I'm not even going to accept that it's possible. That 40 years, a generation could wander around the wilderness and never entered into their inheritance. And he's saying this to the children of that generation coming into the inheritance. I want the spirit now for, the, for my, I don't want God speaking that to my kids' generation going into the promised land. I want to go in ahead of them and get those walled cities down and beat those giants for them so they, they can walk into something. They don't have to start where I started, you know. And, uh, they're, you know, Joshua and Caleb, their generation, they were the only two in their entire generation. If, if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, you don't know. They were the only two in their entire generation who went into the promised land. The wilderness was an 11-day journey, and they made it a 40-year ordeal. Because they had a slave mentality or survival mentality. You got to get that out of you. God doesn't want you to survive. God wants you to thrive in your life. I don't mean like, I mean in the middle of jail and trials. You can like sing, the, sing in the jail doors open for somebody. Not just you. I mean, there's this life that God wants you to live this victorious in the battle. You know, but this generation, they were afraid of battle. And they, they became, you ready? They became something that I don't want for you. They became an in spite of generation. Like, ready? In spite of the inheritance being right there and their children being with them. In spite of them, their children still went into the promised land. I want you, ready? I want you to be a because of generation. Like, because of you, your kids went on and knocked it out of the park. Because of you, they didn't have to deal with your... Uh, stubbornness, authority issues, spending issues. Because of you, they started. They didn't, you didn't make them start over and climb the same mountains. Listen, the next generation experiences pressure in their soul. I know this growing up in church. They experience pressure in their soul because the call of God in our lives is to go out and do much more than our parents did. Because they had to fight all these devils and we got to fight these devils. And there's these, these mountains they had to climb. And we had, Sometimes if, if you want to be an in spite of generation, you make them climb the same mountain that you won't climb. And then they're never going to climb the real mountains that God has for them. I can't wait to see my kids. And they're already kind of doing it. I can't wait to see my kids like, I'll be like, how did God use you to do that? That's incredible. That's nothing. I could never in my wildest dreams. I already go to a church that I don't know if I would get hired here if I didn't start it. <laughs> like I got some people who are pretty awesome, you guys. 
Note to self, start your own church. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> Watch what Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. Man, my, my dad reminds me of Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. This is, now they've been in the promised land. I'm going to jump 45 years ahead. They've been in the promised land for 45 years, man. Caleb, my dad, they got this thing called old man strength. Everybody say old man strength. You know what old man strength is? You tell your body to do what it can't physically do. And it does it. Then you find out it could do it. Old man strength. I, I worked with, uh, I worked with, I worked with a young guy one time. He was a great hulking kid, super strong kid, but he had a weak mind. And we were trying to load a, a roll of tech cable into the back of a truck. And he's like, Corey, we can't do this. And I'm like, I pointed over at the shop foreman whose like body didn't work. His finger was crooked because he cut it. And like, he'd be pointing at people to do jobs. And we're like, who's he? Who's he? <laughs> it's like weird. You know, this, I mean, this old like cowboy looking guy, he'd, he'd eat mayonnaise, uh, mayonnaise uh, sandwiches with that much mayonnaise in it. And like every, every day, man, I, I couldn't even eat at the shop anymore. It's just like, and I'm like, you see that guy right there? I said, he'd get that tech cable up there by himself. He goes, how? I'm like, old man strength. He doesn't know that he can't. My dad, that, you know, you can impart old man strength to somebody at your job. He can be like, oh no, you're not done. You can do this. You don't need sleep to work. You would be surprised at the capacity once God gets a hold of your life and the Holy Spirit and you start toughening up in your mind and in your heart and you start like fighting battles, you'd be surprised at what you can do and what a human can do. Joshua 14, Caleb says this. Now this is like 45 years into war. Caleb says to Joshua, now nobody else gets to talk like to Joshua like this except for Caleb because Caleb's been there for 45 years. Caleb, 40 years before, went into the promised land and saw the giants. Caleb and Joshua had the same spirit and the same heart. The other spies come back and they're like, oh, the giants are too big for us. And, and Joshua and Caleb were like, yeah, they're bigger. But you know what? The thing about big giants is that they're really hard to miss. They're too big to miss. David's like, look at the size of that forehead. I can't miss that. I can hit a blade of grass in front of my uh, sheep's nose to turn them. Shepherd boys, man. They work the skill up. Some of y'all just haven't worked the skill up because you don't read your Bibles. You're trying to like fight the devil with a sword that's like, a, you know, one of those wooden swords. You're swinging real hard, but it's not working, man. Sharpen your... I can't miss Goliath's forehead. I'm getting way off track here. Watch what Caleb says. Now, as you can see, watch this. As you can see, like, take a look at me. The Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised. All these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. He's like, it's finally time for me to walk into the, my personal inheritance because I fought for my brothers and sisters to get theirs. He's like, I'm coming to you, Joshua, right now. And watch this, watch this. I'm as strong now as when Moses sent me on that journey. 45 years ago, I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. He's like, all these young bucks, he's like, they can't keep up to this old guy. And the young bucks are like, really, grandpa? And he's like, we want to, are we doing this? You want a shot of the title? Watch this. So give me. You know, when we say give me to God, you know what we're saying? Like, God, give me comfort. Give me double my salary and half the hours. And God's like, you're hardly getting paid what you're worth right now. Give me. You got to say, give me. He said, give me. Watch this. Give me the hill country. 
He's like, let somebody else settle in the plains. I want the hill country. I want some, I want some land to clear, man. I got all this energy. Give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. Like, I don't know if he promised, promised me, but I heard it. And I want that hill country, man. I want the hard part. Give me the hard part. And he watched. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. The descendants of Anak were the giants that all the spies were afraid of. And Caleb's like, they're still over there. I know there's a few of them out there. They still got these walled cities. Those things offend me. They offend me. I would like to go and deal with those things now. Oh. But he says, if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land. Just as the Lord said, I will drive them out. Man, I'm not asking them to go. There's something this generation needs to do right now. You ready? There are two spirits from the enemy. It's not just sickness we're dealing with. It is a spirit of fear and it is a spirit of infirmity. Jesus told his disciples, go out and pray for those with leprosy. Lay hands on them. Pray for them. Let's get them healed. This is miraculous power. Whoa, whoa, we might get leprosy too. Not if the Lord is with you and you're laying hands on people and you're obeying the Lord. Oh my goodness, come on. There's a spirit of fear and infirmity. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. If this generation won't deal with it, the next generation will have to. Make your peace with God and fight the battles. Fight your battles with fear. Some of you turn off the news and turn on the word of God and turn on church. Come on. Well, the word of God doesn't know how to deal with a pandemic. This is the least of the problems that anybody in the Bible ever had. If you don't know that, try reading the Bible sometime. We are well prepared. We are well prepared for this fight. We have to deal with the spirit of fear and infirmity. I mean, like deal with sickness. Yeah, but deal with the spirit of fear and infirmity that makes people afraid of dying. Be like, I'm not afraid of dying. Hey, you, your coworkers like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of dying. I go to heaven, man. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I'm adopted. You should come to my church. Well, I don't know. I'm afraid right now. Omicron. I was like, at least they named it something cool this time. I thought <laughs> that's how my brain works. You know, again, if you're new, this is what we do. Listen, listen, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not stupid, but I'm not afraid of it. Why? Cause if I die, I go to heaven. You have a Christian funeral for me. It's amazing. You turn the music up. Somebody gets saved and I see him in heaven and they're like, Hey, I got saved at your funeral. I'm like, awesome. And the church takes care of my family and we are not destitute. Because we are belong to the family of God. Come on, you got to deal with some of these mounds. You got to go after these things. I don't want my kids dealing with the fear and infirmity. You know why I had strength during this time? Because I was a real sick kid. And my parents went to war so that I wouldn't deal with the spirit of fear and infirmity. Or else I wouldn't have responded the way that I responded here with faith. And oh my goodness, I'm getting all over the place. Are you enjoying it? Is it working? All right. Every what you do, of the thousand things you do, every what you do can be affecting somebody's who they are. Every single what you do can be affecting somebody's who they are. Listen. It's not doing the dishes. You ready? It's not doing the dishes. It's how and why you're doing the dishes. You can be communicating. Talk about them, talk about them, talk about them. Hey, the reason I do the dishes in this way is because I care. Like, we got to take care of the details because family matters and relationships stay together because I take care of details. Not because we experience this love and we have a favorite song. And no, it's because discipline and love requires discipline. And... Well, family's all about rules and the church is all about rules. No, 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 no. Your discipline shows how much you love. I have a rule in my home. Don't cheat on my wife. Oh, there's too many rules in your home. Nah. Come on. 
you got to work the fire up. you got to, like, get disciplined. you got to get, like, here's why I do the dishes hard. Because when your dad comes home, and, here's why I go out and work hard every day. Because I want to put food, I want to shelter over your heads. And it's more than that. I want you to have enough to bless somebody else. And we bless other people. And this is, it's, you talk about it, you talk about it, you talk about it, you talk about the hows and whys. Um, listen, I, I wrote this down wrong. I, I, I got this wrong. I said, you know what? Your purpose can be shown in your hows and your whys. That is true. But it's not deep enough yet. Here, here's, here's what really is, is the thing that the, maybe the Holy Spirit was showing me. Your purpose is shown in your hows and whys and what you do. The thousand things in your hows and whys. Your purpose is shown there. But listen, their purpose can be found in your hows and whys. They might find their purpose because of how you communicated this. You know, my parents' generation, my parents were kind of anomalies there because they were much more open than most of uh, the, my, my friends' parents in church. Can I rag on church people a little bit? You enjoy, you love it. Most of their generation failed to communicate hows and whys. And so then we got into this like religious image driven deal where, where it's like, you know, God hates alcohol and God hates rock and roll and God hates and God hates and God's afraid and God, you know, what would have been better for them to communicate to us and to my friends was maybe this message. Like, Okay, God clearly doesn't hate alcohol because Jesus turned water to wine. If you can read the Bible, that is. And... No, but there's a different way to handle that. You can say, listen, I want you to learn how to handle it and how to honor God with it so that you don't go out and do this that I used to do. That's what I'm worried about for you. When you're like, you know, God hates unchristian friends or friends who are lost. No, no, he doesn't. He loves them. Come on. He loves them. I just don't want you hanging out with that person. But then you got to tell him why. Because I did hang out with that person and this is what we did. And if you hang out with that type of a person, then that's what you'll do. Because I made some mistakes and I got caught in sin and I don't want that for you. You want to lead the next generation, you got to lead with humility and reality because they can sniff out a fake a mile away. God hates rock and roll. All rock and roll, some of it's pretty good and I like it. Now listen, some of it's not great at all, but then explain why. Like if you fill your mind with this garbage about all this sexual crap that's not even like a real thing, your mind's going to get all twisted and warped. You got to fill it with God. You got to fill it with something that's decent. I could go on and on, but listen. Communicate the hows and whys. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Not just to your kids, but talk about it with like, somebody needs to start serving in youth. Somebody needs to start serving in, in venue kids. Because I'll tell you, the most important thing that we're doing right now is what's happening over there, not what's happening here. It's too late for you. I'm saying, no, no, no. It's not too late for you. What they're going to do is going to make what we did look like nothing. Because that's real church over there. That's, that's why we want your kids over there and not here because I talk too fast for them. That's where we created this whole thing out there. You know, I received correction from one of my pastors, Pastor Nate. He's like, a substance venue, or a substance kids are the most important thing we do. And I came back from like a conference or something. Some of my people were in the car with me and I'm like, okay, we're changing stuff in venue kids. We're changing it. Like, no, this is how important kids are. And so, and so, and so, um, we started doing videos, Pastor Aaron and I, because uh, uh, Nancy and Tammy had this idea, like, do a video so that when the kids come in, they see you guys. Because you know what I don't want? I don't want, I don't want to be your pastor, but not their pastor. And so we do these videos. We're like, hey, you guys, I'm so glad you're here, man. You've got to worship hard today, you know, like, and if you got like a new haircut, 
come and show it to me because I love, you know, I'm like, if you've got something you want to pray, you need me to pray for you, come and find me in between services. I, I love you. I want to help you. I want to, and, uh, and, and Nikki brings uh, Finn over one time. He, she goes, Finn has something that he wants to show you. And he comes over and he's got these new like uh, wrist bracelets or something. And you know what he does? He just comes over and just goes. <laughs> and I'm like, that's way better than anything I have. And I have motorcycles. <laughs> I didn't say that. I was thinking and I'm like, that's so cool. And I saw him from across the room. And you know what he does? From across the room. He makes eye contact. He does this little like, what's up? <laughs> I had a kid come after we did those videos. I had a kid come over to me. You know what she says to me? I know who you are. Because until then, I'm just some guy who carries stuff around occasionally. You know, like, I don't know. How, I know who you are. We had to start thinking generationally. But we get wrapped up in the day to day and forget our mission was never ultimately about our generation. Watch this. After they arrived in Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer. Because, remember last week's summer? Because they've been arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> you got to understand, guys, like, this was not an isolated thing. This was like, Jesus like, oh, unbelievable. You're like, I'd answer if Jesus said something. Not if you were just arguing about something dumb. You wouldn't. <laughs> he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to them and said, okay, sermon illustration. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Translation, be childlike and not childish. Like, grow up, guys. What do you think I came here for? You think it's just your generation? I got three years of ministry here. I can't waste it by not getting to the kids. Watch. Watch. Mark 10, the next chapter. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. <laughs> Jesus is like, look, if these guys can be disciples, you can be a disciple too. <laughs> like, I see you. Oh my goodness. Hey, just because something bothers you doesn't mean it bothers Jesus. Some of you don't have enough tolerance for people who are in your place, the place that you were 10 years ago, and you forgot what it was like to be that sinful and stupid, and you have no tolerance for them anymore. Or they just grew up in a home that was broken, and you're like, why do they always react like that? You know, like, well, yeah, well, nobody, maybe they didn't have your dad. It's this idea of like, come on, guys. When he saw what was happening, he got angry with his disciples. You don't see him get angry very much, by the way. But he got angry with his own guys. He said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, listen, like a child will never enter it. There's an epidemic of people who think they're spiritual adults. You will never in God's sight be a spiritual adult. In God's sight, you'll never be a shepherd. You might have a small group at venue. You'll never be a shepherd in God's sight. When I go to pray... This is not who prays. This is not like this confident. I'm very confident of the message. When I go to pray, I'm very uncertain of myself. And I'm just like, oh, Lord. Did I get that right? I don't know. I need some help. I'm worried that the second sermon's not going to work out like the first one did. Because it was pretty fun. That was a real thing that just happened. He said he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their head and blessed them. Right in the middle of the war that you're fighting right now, you can be blessing the next generation.
You can be blessing them at the same time. You'd be like, hey, dad's got to go fight the devil right now, but I'm going to bless you. Oh, Lord, give this child rest and peace tonight and let them know you with all their hearts and their minds. And Lord, we rebuke every spirit of fear and infirmity off of this child's life and off of this home and off of this church and off of this city and off of this province and off of this nation. We rebuke it off of our leaders right now in the name of Jesus. You know what? Your posture matters in the sight of God. That's why I encourage you to lift your hands in worship because some of y'all are too holy. By holy, I mean boring. You're not supposed to be like that. God on his throne can sit there and not lift his hands because who's he going to lift them to? But you, you know what? This is why I lift my hands. It's like a, a child with his mom, you know? Just like up. Like dad, wherever you're going, I don't know where it is and it might be scary, but I, I just want to go wherever you're going. I don't care where, I don't care how dark it gets. I just, if I'm with you, I'm good. Up. God wants to lift somebody up, but your arms are crossed and you're afraid. And he's like, return to the state of children. Watch this, watch this. Learn this well, Jesus says, unless you dramatically, I was going to say dramatically, if you've watched Logan Lucky, unless you ready, dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable like a little child, you'll never be able to enter in. He's saying, return to the childlike state of like, God, I need you. Up. I worship up. If everything falls apart in my life, up. I still have you. I have everything. I have everything I need. Father, dad, I have everything that I need. You know, that generation of children that he blessed the church in Jerusalem a few years later, they got persecuted real heavy. And that group of children went out with their parents. See, Jesus lit the fire and spread it to the disciples. But it's the disciples' kids and the kids of those that got blessed that went out with that generation and got the gospel. That children's generation with Paul got the gospel into the known world. That's how important it is. What God wants to do and the people coming behind you is exponentially more. But you paved the way for that. You know, let me just share this last little thing. Sean and Nassia were, were in a small group. We got some recovering addicts and stuff in the church. And I want to say, I am proud of you. I am, as your pastor, I am proud of you. Don't you ever think that what you've done keeps you out of this home. Welcome home. You keep fighting the good fight of faith. And when you fall down, we'll pick you up. We're not going to judge you. We're not like that. Come on. There's help in the house of God. And I... I said, Sean Nassier, like, it is so awesome to have these in our small group. Because you know why? Because you need the broken as much as the broken need you. They remind you that you're broken too. 